The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Philippians chapter number 2. And as we read this portion of Scripture, bow for a word of prayer. May our heart uh, be humble as the poor sinner, not as the Pharisee that uh, compared himself, as we heard earlier, with everybody else and found himself to be good. But let us compare ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and find that deep in our souls we are all true sinners in need of the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter number 2, verse 19 to 30 today. Follow along as I read the Word of God out loud for us. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of His proven character, His proven work, that He served with me in the uh, furtherance of the Gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to go ahead and to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ." risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. And may the Lord add the blessing to His Word. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, now we do come to You again. We thank You for this beautiful Lord's Day. We thank You, Father, for giving us a time of Sunday school where we can come and study uh, the Bible more intently, that we can be around small groups of people and develop relationships. Lord, we thank You for the opportunity to gather and worship as Your people uh, as they have already been doing on this day all around the world, and they are even now. We worship together both as the local body and as the universal body of Christ. We thank You that we can give and pray and sing and worship You and that we can open Your wonderful Word and learn how to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I pray now that You would help me to have clarity of thought and to present the Word as the way that it should be and that Jesus would be high and lifted up and that You would draw all human beings to Yourself today. Lord, if there is someone here this morning <clears throat> who is lost, who does not know You as Savior, I pray that You would save them before this day is over. I pray for those who need to be challenged and convicted, Lord, that we would be spurred on to live more for You. And for the weak and the hurting and the wounded, 
I pray that You would be the balm of Gilead, that You would bandage their wounds and help them to see the goodness of Jesus. We love You today. We commit ourselves to You. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You know, when we think about the idea of leadership, uh, there is a small cottage industry about that uh, subject. There are thousands of volumes that have been written on leadership. And to define leadership is almost like nailing jello to a wall. Everybody has their own definition of what leadership is. Furthermore, there are an array of questions that come to your mind when you begin to think about leadership. Are leaders just born? Are they natural born leaders? Or are leaders formed and forged in the fire of training and duty? Or is it some combination between both being born and formed into a leader? Furthermore, questions come up about are all people leaders? Are, are some people followers? And what is the difference between uh, secular leadership in a business or a company and then what is the difference between Christian leadership? That famed uh, author and professor of leadership at Dallas Theological Seminary, Aubrey Malfer, was once teaching in a class and a young man came up to him who had been working his way through seminary as an engineer and as a leader at the Raytheon uh, Synthesis Center in Dallas. He had been a leader in this great public company and he asked uh, Aubrey Malfurs, he said, is a Christian leader only a leader in a Christian context? Or is a Christian leader a leader in any context? And I just want to put before us today that the text of Scripture that we're dealing with here deals primarily with Christian leadership. For it is the Apostle Paul who is that great church planter and apostle who is writing this book to the church at Philippi and he is sending young Timothy who is himself a pastor and he sends along with him Epaphroditus who is a messenger of the church and a worker, so to speak. So in the context, the narrow context of this passage, we are dealing with Christian leadership within the church walls. But if we were to back up and hover over the text of the Scripture, all of it together, and we were to see what God teaches about leadership throughout the Bible, I think we would find that God calls all of us in this room in one capacity or another into gospel and godly and Christian leadership. For the Bible itself teaches that every man in this room should be a leader Christian Christianly in his own home with his wife and with his children. The Bible teaches that every lady in this room should be, the Bible says that the older ladies in the Lord should be teaching the younger ladies in the Lord. You should be a leader for them and for children. The Bible says that we should be all discipling and training other people. And when we go to work, we should be living before even lost people, leading them in a Christ-like context. And for even those that are here today, and maybe you say, I'm too young, I'm 12 years old, I'm 15. Who am I to be a leader? Is not the Scripture replete with examples of young leadership? I am reminded that it was the teenage Jonathan who grabbed his armor bearer when all of Israel was afraid to go up and fight. And he says, follow me. And he climbs up the side of a mountain. And in one fell swoop, he defeats 30 men and inspires and energizes the entire Israelite army. 
What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who find themselves in the heart of the furnace and they said, whether our God delivers us or no, we will be faithful to Him. Young Daniel is ripped out of his context as a teenager, ripped out of that context. He's taken to a foreign land. And what does he do? He does it. He says, I will not eat the king's meat, for I will fast and I will pray, and God will provide. Every person in this room, man and woman, boy and girl, you find yourself in the context of Christian leadership. And I believe that this text teaches us that to learn how to lead as Christians, we must learn how to follow the example of young Timothy and Epaphroditus. Here's the driving truth behind what I'll say this morning. True Christian leadership is driven by Christ-like character. True Christian leadership is driven by Christ-like character. I could stand up here this morning and tell you about many books and articles and YouTube webinars that you might look that can give you all kinds of tools for leadership and certainly all of those things have their place and their format in life. But what I want you to get today is the groundwork and the soil upon which all Christian leadership grows and that is Christ-like character. So let's just answer these two questions this morning and we'll be done with the text. First of all, what can we learn from Timothy about the character of Christian leadership? Look at verse 19 to 24. Let me uh, kind of take these verses apart and then we'll look at just a few things to pull out. And so he says here in verse number 19, the Apostle Paul, he says, but I hope in the Lord Jesus, that is my secure expectation for the future, Not some wringing my hands what I wish would happen, but I hope it is a solid assurance of the future. But I hope in the Lord Jesus. You notice the preposition here. In, it is in Christ that our hope is. Not in ourselves, not in our abilities, not in our skill set, but our hope is in the Lord. To send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. And then notice verse 20. For I have no one else of kindred spirit. Your text may say like-minded. The word here is actually a compound word. The word sim and the word suke. So it is like-souled. The Apostle Paul is saying, I don't have anybody else that is with me that has the same kind of soul for you that I do. Who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare? You might want to underline the word welfare there. Let me just pause for a moment. That verse and that word has ministered to me as a pastor all week long. The Apostle Paul uses a word there at the end of the verse there for welfare. He says, I don't have anybody that's like-minded like Timothy, that's like-minded like me, who will care for your welfare. Do you know what word he's using there? It's the same word for which we would use to be anxious. Worry. The Apostle Paul is saying here, I don't have anybody but Timothy who will worry over you like I worry over you. Christian leaders, they try very hard not to worry, not to be anxious, not to bite their nails all the way down to the nub. But real, genuine Christian leaders are worried and anxious and hover over you with love and care and concern. 
Is that the way that you live your life over your family? Over your brothers and sisters? Over your friends? If you were just to take a concordance and run through the Scripture, you would find the oddest thing in the Apostle Paul's writings. The Apostle Paul says, as the leader of the church, I am as a father with a child. Okay, I get that one. But do you know in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, the manly man, the Apostle Paul, he says, I, he says, I brood over you as a pregnant mother does over a child until over birth pains I give birth to you and you mature in Christ. That's how Christian leaders think about the people that are under them and with them. Not that they beat them over the head, not that they're harsh to them, but that they love them and deep, deep within their soul, they care. The Apostle Paul says, I don't have anybody but Timothy who will worry over you like I worry over you. Look back down at the text for a second and then I'll give you some points. Verse number 21 he contrasts the heart of Timothy with others, for they all seek after their own interest, not the interest of Christ. But you know, and the word know here is an experiential know, means you have felt it and seen it lived out before you, but you know of His proven worth, and there is a proven character, proven value. It is what uh, the totality of what makes the person the proven worth that He served with me in the furtherance of the Gospel like a child serving His Father. Therefore, I'll send Him immediately as soon as I see how things will go. And I trust that I too will come to you very, very soon. Let me just give you three things to learn from Timothy about the character of Christian leadership. Number one, Christian leaders selflessly care for other people. And this sermon is for everybody in this room, regardless of age, regardless of sex, regardless of background, regardless of income. If you want to be a Christian leader, you'll be the kind of person that selflessly cares for other people. Don't be selfish. Don't put yourself above. The Bible says, let each esteem others better than themselves. Number two, Christian leaders have proven godly character. If you want to lead your family, you cannot be one way at church and another way at home. You cannot be one way at work and another way at church. You must be the kind of person that has proven character, proven quality, that you're learning not perfect, but that you're living for Jesus, walking with God, trying to be an upstanding Bible believer and living in the morality of Scripture where Christ is King and you're learning from Him every day how to live your life as He would live your life if He were you. And today, if you're in this room and you say, I can't say honestly that I'm giving everything that I have to walk with God and be a person of proven character, then you don't have what it takes to be a Christian leader in your home, in your church, or at your work. And we must be the kind of people that have proven character. I was thinking this morning, it was rather early, so when I posted it. I'm not sure that it went up right or not, but I was thinking in my own heart, you know, as I look around at our country and watch the news and I see the political scene, I am appalled at... Uh, oh boy, better watch myself. 
Can I just say that uh, there's not a lot of good decisions out there. It bothers me at the quality of the character of the candidates who are running to run our country. But this is what I can say today to our congregation here. The destruction and the tragedy of bad character in the leaders of our government has no match nor any ground than the destruction and the tragedy of the lack of leadership in our Christian homes. And we have no right to complain at the world around us and the candidates that are out there unless we are taking a long look in the mirror ourselves and saying, where I have come up short, where is my sin nature? And we fall on our knees of our heart and we cry out to God and say, we have sinned. We have come short of the glory of God. We beat our breast. We don't lift our eyes up to heaven. But we say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we seek to be people of proven character. Number three, Christian leaders are focused on the advancing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you not see that down there? He says, I'm soon going to send Timothy to you, and as a father is with a child, so has Timothy been with me in the gospel. Now let me help you with your biblical expectations for a moment. When you think about Christian leaders in your life, what are the expectations that you have of them? There are multiple expectations, and the Bible says that Christian leaders should do a lot of things, but right near the top of what you should be expecting of those that lead you should be an attitude and a passion and a driven desire to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not to get bogged down with every little detail and every trifling idea, but they are to spend their time and spend their heart and spend their passion advancing the gospel of Jesus. Why? Because there is a lost and dying world around us. And rather than fighting and bickering and arguing, we must be on the same page. We must love Jesus. We must come together in unity. And we must be the kind of leaders in our home and in our church and in our world and in our work that are advancing the gospel of Jesus, sharing the truth that Jesus died for our sins, that He rose again, and that any human being that puts their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ can have eternal life. Is that what you expect of your leaders? Well, let me turn that on its head and ask you this. Is that what you expect of yourself? Do you expect of yourself that somewhere inside, look, you don't have to win a thousand people to Jesus. You don't have to get it right every time. And I was just talking with a brother before the service and I said, man, I've tried to invite some folks in my neighborhood. I've tried to share the gospel. And some of them are cold and dead to it. And listen, you know, we came to the agreement upon the Lord Jesus never told us that we have to win people. He's the one that wins. He's the one that saves. All the Bible calls you to do is be a faithful witness of Jesus. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Leadership is a selfless kind of person that has proven character that advances the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, I don't want to call their name. You wouldn't know this person right off, but here in our church, there's a young lady who is facing very difficult circumstances. 
at home and at school. And she is uh, facing uh, the enemy, not only there, but the oppression of the powers of darkness. And sometimes depression kind of creeps in here and there. But she is longing and seeking to learn and to live for Jesus Christ. And in her context and in her life, she is going to seek to put Jesus first and to live for Him and rise up and be a leader among her family and among her friends and in her school and for Christ and for this church. Can you do the same? In your context? Leadership is not, at least Christian leadership, is not about who's born with the most bombastic personality. True Christian leadership is driven by Christ-like character. You want to make a difference in the world for Christ? Learn to live for Him. Let's look for a moment and we'll be finished. What can we learn from Epaphroditus about the character of Christian leadership? Look at verse 25 to 30. Let me just kind of walk through that for a moment and then we'll look at some points. The Apostle Paul says here in verse 25, but I thought it necessary. Now, our English Bible says, but I thought it necessary to send, and that's, that's appropriate because we want to make sure that the verb is close here, uh, to the subject, and all of my English teachers are with me, and everybody else is glazed over. But, that is not the way that this appears. In fact, the words there to send are actually at the very end of these verses here. And so the reason why is because he's trying to place in the middle here all of the character qualities of Epaphroditus. He says here, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And notice here the few points and very simple points for you. He says, he's my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger. And this is actually the word apostle. So it's not saying here that he is one of the original apostles nor the apostle Paul, but this word in has the connotation of he is this, he is this messenger. He is this one who is being sent and coming. And then look what it says here. So he's not only a messenger, but he is ministering to my need. Epaphroditus comes from Philippi to minister to the need of the apostle Paul. And then look what it says about him, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because he heard that, because you heard that he was sick. Notice that Epaphroditus here, he's not frustrated nor distressed nor upset because he is sick. He, his distressing signals come because you find out that he's sick. Isn't that the kind of person that you want leading you? Isn't that the kind of person you want to be in your life that you're so loving and that you're so filled with joy and ministering and brooding over God's people in your life, no matter who that may be, that your worry is not whether your life is at stake, but whether the people that hear about you are nervous. Look at verse 27. For indeed he was sick, and that to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. You see, the Apostle Paul is saying here, God ended up healing Epaphroditus, not only so he would restore him to you, but so that I wouldn't have the extra sorrow of suffering in prison and experiencing the death of another brother in Christ. Can I just maybe take a side here for just a moment and also explain to you something that this verse helps us to see? You be careful about um, be, be careful 
about watching stuff on television where people run around, I don't want to call names, but with uh, great big hairdos and expensive white suits and bop people on the head and they fall down and get healed. Be very, very careful about that kind of stuff because that's not the way that the New Testament explains this to us. In fact, what you see is in the book of Acts, you find that God does bring healing and that Christ did bring healing. And there are appropriate moments, even in the epistles, where God does deliver and bring healing through a human being. But by and large, the farther you move into the New Testament, the farther away you get from the divine healing and the more you see of God's divine presence being with His people, even in death. And the Apostle Paul himself said, I have experienced a thorn in my flesh. And he sought for God to take it away from him three times, and God did not. And many, many, many brothers and sisters were not delivered by some divine healing, but they were faithful to Christ to the very end, and He was with them even in death as they walked into eternal deliverance from their sickness and their pain. Amen? If you do not get healed, it is not a lack of faith. We live in a fallen world where disease is here and problems are here. God has not called us for that. God has called us to be faithful to Him, whether in the good times or in the bad times. Read Hebrews chapter number 11, the great hall of faith that we all love to read about and God's miracles on people's design. But what happens at the latter part of that chapter when people are being sawn asunder and torn apart and their flesh is being ripped off and they're thrown to lions and they're burned on stakes? and they die, and their ashes are burned, and nobody hears about them for a couple of thousand years. In the eyes of God, they are heroes. And He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground, and He knows every hair on your head, be faithful to the Lord. That sermon won't even cost you an extra dime. Look back down if you would. Verse number uh, 28. Therefore I have sent Him all the more eagerly, See, the Apostle Paul here this more eagerly as he's saying, look, I'm sending him to you. I love you. I want you to have him. He says, why? So that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Verse 29, receive him in the Lord with all joy and hold these kind of people. What kind of people? The kind like Epaphroditus who are more concerned with you, who are brothers, who are fellow workers and fellow laborers, fellow soldiers, those who are pouring their life out, hold those kind of people in high esteem. Verse 30 gives you the reason why. Because he came close to death. But notice here this preposition. Why does he come close to death? For the work of Christ. Not for his own glory, not for a name, not for a plaque, but for the work of Jesus Christ risking His life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. The end of verse number 30, uh, different uh, folks have different interpretations of that. Uh, Is the Apostle Paul giving him a little sting here by saying, you know, you didn't didn't, uh, give me everything that I needed, so this guy has to fill that? Or is the Apostle Paul a little bit nicer and he's just saying, it's been years since we've had communication, almost nine years since he's been back to Philippi, and this man, Epaphroditus, came bringing what was lacking from your giving. I'll let you work that out. I think the Apostle Paul is being gracious to this church in that section. So let me just give you a few points here. What can we learn about Epaphroditus from the character of Christian leadership? I would say, first of all, we learn this. Christian leaders are saved people. Now look at all of you. 
You're looking up here at me like, man, you went to seminary for all those years just to say that Christian leaders are saved people? Come on, McFly, we got that one, right? You'd be surprised how many people are leaders in church contexts and are lost. Brothers and sisters, why don't we begin at this place? You might have better places to go. You might have more in-depth thought than the Apostle Paul. But don't you think that it would be a good place for you to start the analyzation of your own life today and just ask yourself afresh and anew, am I truly a believer in Jesus Christ? I don't want to cause you to doubt. I don't want to cause you to, to suffer from any of that. But there's nothing wrong. In fact, the Bible says in the book of the Acts that the Apostle Paul went back to all the churches that he came from and he was confirming with the people whether they were genuinely saved or not. It's a good place to begin to say, am I a believer in Jesus Christ? Or did I simply make a decision? Did I simply sign a card? Did I do something when I was young, but nothing has genuinely changed in me? Let me stop for a moment to everybody present today, member and visitor alike. We want you to understand that in this church, we believe that God created the entire world in six days and that He did a beautiful job of it. And when He was finished, He said, it is very good. And then Adam and Eve came along and they messed the whole thing up. And ever since Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, sin has poured down to all human beings. It's the reason why death and sickness and disease and heartache and war and pain exist in the world. And it's the reason why, though you try and be a good person, even when you are outwardly in your heart, you know that you're filled with pride and filled with self and a gossip and a liar and a cheat and a thief and all of those things that you would never admit to anybody else. You are in your soul and you know it. And I do too. And you can try all your lifetime and never get out from underneath of that. But the Bible teaches that Jesus came into the world. Jesus is God's Son. And He was born of a virgin. He lived about 33 years and never sinned. Not one time. You believe that? 33 years and never sinned? And the Bible says that Jesus was taken and put on a cross and that when He died, all of the sins of those who would ever believe in all the world were put inside of Jesus. And He that knew no sin at all became sin for you. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Amen? And the end of that gospel story, the end of that good news, is that right now, right here as I'm speaking to you, if you'll just give up and lay down your weapons of arrogance and pride and just simply say, man, all my life I've been trying to be a good enough person and I can't be. But I want to trust Jesus Christ who is not only good enough, but He is God's Son and He loved me enough to die for me and He rose again on the third day and I'm going to put all of my trust and all of my confidence in Jesus Christ right here today, He will take out your old heart and He'll put in a new heart. He'll forgive you of all of the guilt and shame that are in the closets of your mind. And He'll turn your life right side up. That's what Jesus does. You know what Christian leaders are? They're saved people. Number two, Christian leaders are workers. 
they're servants. You see that there in the text. Not only is he my brother, but he's also a fellow worker. Now, what is a point of application that we might just put it here? You say, Pastor Steve, I want to be a Christian leader and I want to be a worker. Okay. We have a pumpkin patch right out here in the side of this building. And the next week, we're going to have tons of people from this community walking in to get pumpkins. And uh, Brother Brian needs a few people to volunteer. After the service, he'll be out there at the welcome desk. You can sign up for uh, $99.99. And no, I'm just messing with you. You can sign up out there for a couple hours and just sit there. And you know what you could do? You could sit there and read your Bible that you hadn't read in a week. Or you could pray for a little while. Or you could think good thoughts about Jesus. And you could give some, you could kill three or four birds with one stone. Read your Bible, uh, pray, and when somebody comes up, sell them a pumpkin and give them a card to come to church. You could work like that. Some of you could work at children's church. Some of you could teach a Sunday school class. Some of you could actually just pray each week that God would save people. You know, listen, do you know there's brothers and sisters and, and lost folks that have been visiting the church just week after week and God's working on their hearts? Hey, our brothers and sisters here is a part of Emmanuel. Pray every, every day, every week. Be a worker. Be a part of what's going on. Don't be on the outside. Be on the inside. Don't sit and watch God do things here and say, and with your arms crossed and say, well, that was a good week, or well, that was a little bit of an off week. Don't, don't be like that. Be a worker. The guys here know, I, I, and we have meetings, I have no problem. I'm, I, I, I think you ought to always, godly leaders are also realistic people. You ought to be able to say, this is the problem, and there's a hole in the boat, and it's big, let's fix it. But I don't, I don't like, nor I don't like, I don't like going to or being a part of uh, meetings where everybody just says there's a hole in the boat and then sits around. For heaven's sakes, if there's a hole in the boat, tell us, but then try and fix it. Amen? Be the kind of person that's got a solution too. I digress. Let me give you another point. Christian leaders are soldiers. I don't know, y'all, y'all heard that, uh, Toby Mac song, uh, move soldier. Keep moving. Y'all know that song? Alright, it's a good song. Every time I say that point, it reminds me of that. Christian leaders should be soldiers. You know what, uh, when it says here soldier, it means that he's standing for the truth of the Word of God. Are you the kind of person that is standing as a Christian leader in your home? Does your family see you honor the Word of God, honor the church of God, honor the people of God, honor the gospel? Does your family, do the people that are in your life, do they see you stand for truth? Are you a soldier? Well, Christian leaders are totally dedicated to the work of Christ. Look at verse number 30, and I'll just kind of close this down with this. Because He came close to death for the work of Christ. You see, underlying all of this, what we learn from Timothy and what we learn from Epaphroditus is that they did everything in their life and all of their leadership was driven by Christ-like character and a passion for Jesus. It's not good enough just to be a moralistic person. It's not good enough just to say, well, I'm going to cross all my uh, T's and dot all my I's and I'm going to live just so. No, it is a passion and a desire for Jesus Christ. That's what creates the character inside of us that we are totally dedicated and sold out to loving Jesus and living for Him every day of our lives. Is that where you are? 
Let me finish with telling you this. I was thinking this past week, reading a little bit. Isn't this how we are? Most of us in here today as believers, we kind of think this way. To give Christ all of my life is like taking a thousand dollar bill and laying it down there on the table and saying, Jesus, you can have my life. But you know what's more realistic? Jesus says, take the thousand dollars, go down to the bank and cash it for a whole bunch of quarters. And then give somebody a 25 cent hug and spend $3 to help somebody change their tire. Take $5 of your time and help uh, sell some pumpkins or, or help in your community, invite folks to church. Take $15 and, and, and pray for about 20 or 30 minutes this week for what God's doing. It's not just a $1,000 check. Most of what God wants is for us to spend the days of our life taking nickels and dimes and quarters of our time and giving it back to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you do something small for other people, you do something great for Jesus Christ. Amen? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment? Hey, the, the, the sermon is simple today, right? I learned from Timothy. We learned from Epaphroditus. We want to be Christian leaders. We, we want to be the kind of people that are following after Him, that our leadership is driven by Christ-like character. I wonder if there's some areas in your life where you'd say, you know what? I want to lead my family. I want to lead my friends and people that are around me. I, I want to do what's right. But I'm not being servant-hearted. And I don't have proven character. Why don't you just take a moment? Maybe you haven't even, the whole week, maybe you haven't prayed or just had a quiet time. Right where you are, it's just kind of quiet. Why don't you just talk with the Lord and say, look, here's some areas. Forgive me. I want to be better. Please help me. Give me your spirit. Teach me how to do better. There might even be somebody here today. Maybe you've been visiting with us or maybe you've been a member here for a while, but in your heart as I'm preaching and you heard me talk about Jesus coming from heaven down to earth to die on the cross and be raised again, that somehow in your heart right now that makes sense for the first time and you know that you're lost, that you're nervous or what people will think or what they'll say. You're, maybe you, you, you were a part of a church as a child. Hey, forget all of that. Don't go to hell for anybody. Right where you are, right in your seat, right where you are right now, talk with God. Say, Steve, I don't even know how to talk to him. I do I have to talk in some kind of uh, big words? No, just talk to him right where you are. So, Lord, I, I really agree that I'm a sinner and I'm not making it. I'm not good enough. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Help me. He will. In a moment, we'll stand and sing together. There's decisions being made all around this room right now. Make today. Make this count today. Would you stand with us and let's just sing a song together. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.